Welcome to Lit Mag Love, presented by Room Magazine and We Are Lit Writers. I'm Rachel Thompson, writer, editor, and online instructor. In this first season of Lit Mag Love, the podcast, I interview editors from literary journals and share readings from the pages of Lit Mags. My aim is for you, dear writer, to find a Lit Mag where you may have your own words cherished by readers. So today we have The Sun, and The Sun is an independent ad-free magazine that for more than 40 years has used words and photographs to evoke the splendor and heartache of being human. I love that. Each monthly issue features personal essays, short stories, interviews, poetry, and photographs that explore the challenges we face and the moments when we rise to meet them. Writing from The Sun has won the Pushcart Prize and been selected for numerous anthologies, including Best American Short Stories and Best American Essays. And my guest today is Derek Askey. He is the editorial assistant with The Sun, and he has an MFA from Colorado State University. He lives in Durham, North Carolina, and he writes about music. Welcome, Derek. Thank you, Rachel. So how did you come to do an MFA in writing, and what was the most important thing you learned there? I'm just going to jump right into it. Okay, great. Yeah, it's a great question. I I had studied writing uh, as an undergraduate at the University of Pittsburgh and sort of knew all along that I wanted to get an MFA, that I wanted to sort of stay in the world of letters. And as one does when they graduate with an undergraduate degree, uh, you kind of take what you can get. And for me, that was a job as a business analyst for a health insurance company, uh, which is as awful as it sounds, maybe even a little bit more. So, um, but it was a job that paid the bills, and I was able to live in the city and do all of those things, but uh, that sort of desire to get an MFA kept nagging at me. And I did that for, I want to say, about three years or so, and then decided to jump into studying for the GREs and sending out applications and all of those things, just, again, knowing that that was what I had sort of wanted to do all along. Uh, I just had to pay off my debt from undergraduate first. Uh, so as many people who uh, go to MFA programs know, I applied widely, and I ha- just happened to choose the one that was geographically the furthest from uh, where I had been living at the time. So I moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, and it was just one of the, the best decisions I've, I've made. I, when I was younger, I never thought I was going to leave Pittsburgh, and it was very instructive to me to do that and to sort of big time step out of a comfort zone and, and uh, jump into writing. One of my former instructors, <clears throat> I was talking with him about MFAs, and he had said an MFA is basically taking a group of people who say that they're writers and asking them to prove it. Uh, and that was very much what it felt like uh, when I was getting my MFA, that you just sort of jump in and immerse yourself. And that was what I did. The most important thing I learned there That's a good question. Uh, I think it's that you are accountable to yourself most of all. You have this sort of network of people who are around you, and that's really great to have. But once you step outside of that, you know, maybe you have connections with one or two of those people. Maybe you're still sharing writing with them. But nobody's going to sit your ass in the chair except for you. And so I think it did. That was probably the most valuable lesson is that it taught me accountability. Uh, I was also really lucky when I was there to work at the Center for Literary Publishing, which is Colorado State's sort of organization 
that puts out Colorado Review, which is a journal that I had worked for when I was there and continue to love and definitely would not be at the sun uh, if I did not have that experience. So yeah, if you're thinking about getting an MFA, I recommend diving in. Yeah, and, and partic- in particular, you're saying for the accountability that you got from being there. Although sometimes I hear that that accountability is more difficult when you don't have someone who's telling you prove that you're a writer here for me. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, you know, my program was three years long, uh, and it was not a low-risk program. I was there, and you you do have somebody asking you to prove that you're a writer for three years. And, you know, part of that is trying to prove it to those people who are asking you that. But I think even more than that, it's proving it to yourself. And so you, you sort of learn, maybe, maybe you learn like the wherewithal that it takes to continue on uh, with writing after you've left the program. I don't know if that quite answers it or not. <laughs> no, that's great. So you already alluded to sort of your path to becoming an editor at The Sun. And maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit, but also tell us what is it that you like about being an editor? Like how did you come to editing from, from writing and from the MFA? Yeah. Um, so again, you know, when I was working for uh, the Colorado Review, the, it's basically that's a journal that's entirely run by students. The, I should take that back. It's not entirely run by students, but students are hands-on in every part of the process of putting the journal together. Uh, the editor there, Stephanie Geschwind, oversees all of that, and everybody is accountable to Stephanie when they're there. But if you want to learn how uh, to do typesetting, if you want to learn proofreading, if you want to learn uh, the, the process of reading submissions, all of that stuff is done by the interns who are in the program, who are in the graduate programs, English-related graduate programs. And uh, when I was there, I discovered that I have a sickness, which is that I really enjoy proofreading, and <laughs> I guess excelled at that. I share that and, sickness. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird problem to have. It's not even the most marketable <laughs> uh, skill, I guess, in, in this day and age. I'm sure you've probably heard about the New York Times and their sudden disdain for their copy editors, which I won't get into. Yeah. Um, but so I, you know, I found that I really liked that, that piece of it. And when I had finished my three years in the program, I could either stay in Colorado and teach as an adjunct or I had just recently fallen in love with somebody, actually, and uh, she was moving to North Carolina. And so it was a choice between trying to make that work long distance and staying and teaching in Colorado or just moving to North Carolina, sight unseen. I'd never even been to the state before. And uh, like any hopeless romantic, I chose to come to North Carolina. And that was sort of how I ended up with the sun. So I had been living here for about a year, applying to jobs. And the son was hiring uh, an editorial assistant. And to get back to the question that you had originally asked, which is what do I like most about that, about being an editorial assistant, is that every day is, this is such a cliche thing to say, but every day I'm doing something different. And I like that aspect of it. I, I like getting to be involved in sort of different parts of the magazine. And we are a small staff. And there are about 14 of us who work full-time for the magazine, and then we have, I believe, six readers as well. And it's sort of a close-knit family, and that's a, it's a really good place to be. Uh, I remember when I was working that business analyst job at the health insurance company back in Pittsburgh, and uh, 
I remember looking out the window and thinking, man, there must be, must be something else out there that isn't this. There must be some other kind of job. And I had no idea what that job was, but coming here, I discovered that it looks an awful lot like the one that I'm very lucky to have. So That's wonderful to have that. And, and you guys work together in a, like a site. It's not a remote team. Is that right? That's right. We have two uh, buildings in, uh, right in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And then our readers who do not work full-time uh, sort of come and go. So they're here on Sundays and we have an editorial meeting in which all of the readers are here together and we discuss pieces. But by and large, pretty much everybody who works for the magazine, with just a few exceptions, we have somebody who lives in Florida and somebody who lives in Maine. That's our proofreader and then a manuscript reader. So they sort of live remotely, but 95% of us are here in Chapel Hill. Nice. And you, and so that leap of faith that you took as a hopeless romantic really paid off for you in a big, big way. That's great. Yeah. And I married that person too. So nice. it, it ended up oh. working out really well. <laughs> really putting the love into Lit Mag Love in this episode. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Love is important, you know. Uh, I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. So Nice. So I want to ask you about music criticism and just how you know, how you got into that genre. Maybe tell us a little bit for people who aren't writing in that area or maybe reading widely in that area, how that how sure. it works and what you like about it. Yeah, I have to admit, I feel a, a little bit like a phony answering this question because I feel like I haven't done it in, in quite a while. Since I started at The Sun, that's kind of been almost my exclusive focus. But uh, music criticism was something that when I was in grad school, I think it was when I was still in grad school, a friend of mine he had been working for uh, a publication called the Phoenix New Times. It's sort of like Phoenix's alt-weekly. And I can't remember exactly how he ended up with them because he wasn't from Phoenix and I've never even been to Phoenix. But I ended up writing for them. And it was it was an interesting experience for me to dive into, I guess, what would be freelancing. Uh, I'd, I'd never really used that word or thought of myself like that. But, you know, you pitched an idea and they either accepted it or they didn't. And then there would be a couple edits. That music criticism was one of like a sort of series of things that I was doing uh, at the end of graduate school. And then in that year that followed as I was uh, trying to get a job and then eventually landed at the Sun. I was also reviewing books for a company called Kirkus, which maybe a number of your listeners are familiar with. Uh, and just doing sort of various freelancey type things to, to help make ends meet. And I really love doing it. Music has always been something that I spend far too much time thinking about <laughs> and uh, fussing over. And I would say most of my best friends, it's like we sit down and we exchange pleasantries for about three minutes and then get into talking about the music that we've been listening to. So it's just something that's always been an interest of mine. And I think it is kind of hard to approach thoughtfully. There are definitely some writers who do that better than others. And I don't know, it was... It, it was kind of a surreal experience. I remember I had the opportunity to interview this guy named Will Sheff, and he's the lead singer in a band called Ockerville River, who had been like one of my favorites since I was in high school, and I had gone to see them a bunch of times when I lived in Pittsburgh and, and Colorado as well. And it was just this kind of like moment of reflection, I guess, like, wow, I got to chat with that guy on the phone for 25, 30 minutes. So I like that. I like sort of getting to be exposed to those people that I had kind of idolized for a long time. Nice. But it, it's never like a don't meet your idols or don't meet your heroes kind of moment. <laughs> uh, no, he was very pleasant and nice. <laughs> I did, it, we spoke on the phone. So maybe it would have been different if it were a face-to-face -face sort of thing. But um, he was very gracious and 
dealt with my fawning like a real professional. Um, nice. I wasn't able to do that. So nice. So I want to ask you about writing community a bit because there's something on the Sun, Sun submission page that I really love. It's writing is a solitary act, but when what you've written goes out to our loyal subscribers, it can feel less so. So are there ways that you stay connected with other writers and writing community? It sounds like you have that community at the Sun too. Maybe tell us a bit more about your connection to writing community. Yeah, a lot of that does come from the Sun actually. We host two per year actually um, writing retreats, one in Big Sur, California, and another in the mountains here in North Carolina actually. And so what that means is that we have some of our readers and a group, usually about six or seven of the writers who have appeared in the magazine, come and do workshops and classes and sort of immerse themselves in that. And for me, you know, coming from an MFA, uh, having a background with an MFA, it's kind of like just a little weekend taste of that again, you know, which I really love and getting to sit in on those classes and listen to writers talk about craft is something that I always have and probably always will enjoy. Uh, and then also, like everybody else who seems to be part of this universe, the AWP conference we go to every year as well. And I know there's a lot of reasons to maybe be snarky about the AWP conference. Um, and I certainly... <laughs> there is a lot of snark. Yeah. yeah, there's a ton of snark. And last time I was there, which seems to happen more often as I'm getting older, but I got like so, so sick. And actually, my colleague had to like drive my car back from Washington, D.C. I was super sick. That seems to happen every time. All of those things notwithstanding, I really love AWP. And I love the opportunity to interact with people. You know, that I can see people uh, who I knew from the writing program when I was in Pittsburgh. I can see a lot of my old MFA uh, instructors from when I was in Colorado. I can meet writers that I've interacted with since they've appeared in the sun. And I don't know that there's a lot of other lines of work where you're able to engage in those sort of past lives in the way that you do at AWP. So this is my shameless plug for, for the AWP conference, which I think is really great. I like going to the panels. I like going to the booths. And I think it's a great way to stay connected. Nice. And, and the retreat that you do with the sun just sounds so dreamy, too. It is dreamy. The, they're both dreamy in their own way. Uh, I had not really spent a lot of time on California's coast before going to uh, Big Sur for the retreat. And it's at a place called the Esalen Institute. And it's, you know, it's right on the coast. Like literally you, you can see the water there and just sort of breathtakingly beautiful. You know, there's somebody there to cook. And there's somebody there to sort of take care of all of those little things while our participants are just sort of focused on writing. Uh, and then the other retreat in North Carolina, which is at a place called Wild Acres, I don't know, it's kind of like the East Coast version of that. It's uh, way up in the mountains. There's no cell service. And you're just kind of there in nature for a bit and writing and reading and talking and mingling with other people who are, are as interested in the magazine and as in writing. And that's very affirming. We've certainly heard from participants that immersing themselves in that experience is a very affirming sort of experience, you know. Writing is is often lonely. It's often you at a desk or even you at a coffee shop when you're sort of just singularly focused on what it is that you're working on. And it's always going to be that way, I think, uh, just by the nature of the act, it's always going to be that way. But still, there's something to be said for being around other people who sort of are familiar with that loneliness. 
Yeah, and there's such a shorthand that I think writers have with one another. Part of the writing life that is lonely is even just talking to people who aren't writing and they don't really get what, you know, what is it that you're doing? Have you published anything that I, I've, I've read before or something like that? Right, and, right. And just like understanding. Get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to take a short sponsor break here. And then when we're back, I'm going to ask Derek more about the sun, what it looks for in submissions, and to provide an example, too, of something that they've published recently. This season of Lit Mag Love, the podcast, is brought to you by my course, Lit Mag Love. So if you're a writer who wants to feel like a professional, not an amateur, but you just need some proof that you're not wasting your time with this writing thing, and nobody's given you that official card to confirm you're a writer, or if you're a writer who'd love to finish some pieces, but you're having trouble with focus and motivation, or maybe you're a writer who just wants to get your writing out in the world and instead it's gathering dust in a miscellaneous writing file on your computer and you just need help staying accountable, I suggest you check out my course, Lit Mag Love. And you can find out more about it at litmaglove.com where you can get one free lesson. I'm back with Derek Askey from The Sun magazine. And Derek, I want to ask you what The Sun looks for in submissions. And because I know on your submissions page, you have that write-up of talking about the challenges we face and the moments when we rise to meet them. And that's the kind of writing that The Sun publishes. So what kinds of challenges best suit the journal? Uh, It's a great question. And, uh, you know, like a lot of magazines, we do try to strike this balance, I think, uh, in our submission guidelines between being sort of broad enough to to get a variety of submissions and specific enough that those submissions sort of make sense in the magazine. Uh, And so when we talk about challenges, you know, I, I think the pieces that we've published, I think, can have interpreted that in a variety of ways. Uh, I I think oftentimes it means some sort of personal challenge that uh, the writer is going through. We publish, as you said before, we publish fiction, nonfiction, poetry, as well as black and white photographs. But I think a lot of what we publish is nonfiction. And it's often about that that sort of personal struggle. Um, we, We also say in the submission guidelines that we often don't know what we'll like until we see it. Uh, and that has proven itself to be true over and over again. A story that I'll talk about a little bit later by an author named David Rutschman that we published in uh, this last May called The Hogs, the Sow, the Wind is sort of one of those stories that we would have, um, we could have sat in meetings every day of every week for a year and come up with pieces that we would like somebody to submit. And I don't think we would have ever come up with that piece. Uh, and yet it appeared and it was, I think we did not hem and haw about accepting it. We just thought it was terrific. And so I don't know if that answers the question or not. <laughs> it gets to the heart of it, I think, because you also do say that on your submissions page is sometimes you don't know what you like until you see it. And right. so it's not maybe so limited in terms of, of what you mean. But I think it's helpful to know that you tend to publish a lot more nonfiction and that are these are yeah. challenges that often it's, I guess, and this is what we look for at Room 2, is the stories only you can tell. Like, so not trying to create, you know, some kind of challenge or conflict that doesn't 
that you don't personally really connect with. Right. And, and at least I find that the pieces that I connect most strongly with are the ones where I, I sort of get the sensation that the, um, the author is looking me in the eye and that there is an honesty behind that writing. And that in itself is a challenge. I think it's in many ways uh, one of the hardest things, the hardest work of a writer is to uh, present something honestly and unflinchingly. And perhaps more than anything, I think that that's what we're looking for uh, when we look at the pieces, whether or not the, the author is being truthful to whatever his or her truth might be, but that there's not a lot of artifice involved in that or sleight of hand, you know. And that segues kind of into my next question then about, is there anything you'd rather not see submitted to the sun? Always a great question. We don't have a lot of limits on, on the types of stuff that, w- that we would like to see submitted. Um, in fact, recently I think we've opened up a bit more, which isn't to say that we've never published genre before, uh, but I think we've been a little bit more open to that. Um, I, I guess you would call it genre with a literary bent. There's a writer who we've published a few times recently. Her name is Debbie Urbanski. And uh, her stories, she, she primarily writes fiction, and her stories don't always take place in you know actual reality. There's aliens in them, um, but there, there are portals that people travel through. Um, and when I, I think maybe when people think about the sun, something like that isn't the first thing that they think about. And yet those are some of my favorite pieces that we published lately. So, you know, I would say there's, we're not putting blockers on anything that's submitted, but uh, this is a, another sort of cliche piece of advice that um, bears repeating over and over again, which is to really read the magazine to which you are submitting uh, and seeing if the piece that you have is something that makes sense in that magazine. And uh, I, I understand the, the kind of resistance to that advice. You know, writers are submitting to perhaps dozens of journals at a time. Uh, and it is difficult to read all of those journals. I totally get that. But it is frustrating, I think, for, for both sides when we get a piece that is just so obviously not suited to the magazine. So uh, I won't say we prohibit anything uh, or that there's anything we would rather not see submitted, but I will say that we do ask that people take a look at the magazine before they send us work. Yeah, and, and you have samples available on the website too, so it's becoming easier and easier for people to at least take a, do. a look. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll have to make a, a shameless plug here, which is that our digital media director, David, has been working uh, very hard with a web development team, uh, a Canadian web development team, actually. <laughs> um, and we have basically done a complete overhaul of the website. And so you are now able, even as a non-subscriber, uh, to view a couple of articles per month, which allows you to really sort of like dive into the Sun Archives, which is really exciting. We're really happy with how it looks and how it's gorgeous it's a gorgeous website yeah i really feel comfortable on it yeah yeah um i i just absolutely love it and so yeah we have i i think made strides at making it easier for people to familiarize themselves with the magazine even if they're not subscribers nice yeah i think i really hear that point about writers i hear that from both sides i guess where writers are saying oh they they're submitting to so many places they can't read them all and I usually say, you know, maybe you should be slowing down and thinking more about what, what is your specific goal for publication, because not every journal is going to suit what you're trying to do with your writing. And then if you're not reading the journals, how would you ever know that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it is frustrating. Really, like you can really tell when someone hasn't read the journal when they're submitting. 
Right. And, you know, to be honest, that's the, I don't, I'm not one of the readers of our unsolicited submissions. I do read some submissions that we have for an editorial meeting. Uh, and I read, I'm the first reader for a section of the magazine that's called Reader's Right. But I'm not even, <laughs> even the one who's reading those pieces that aren't suited to it. But I'm defensive on half of readers who do have to do that. So, yeah. So when we spoke about submissions before, and when you were a guest in my, in my course, Lit Mag Love, you said, in our 40 plus years, we've never printed something exactly as it's been submitted. It's a lot of effort, but I'd argue that that's the whole point of what an editor ought to be doing. So do you want to tell me a bit about that work? I think that's a, a lovely and generous thing and such a, a gift for writers to be able to have that close work, like that close eye on their piece and working with an editor. Um, so what is that process like and, and why is that important? Yeah, um, th- there probably is an asterisk at the end of that comment. We've probably printed <laughs> one thing, uh, maybe in the early years of the magazine, or it might be more than one that we hadn't that we hadn't done editing on. But by and large, especially now, pretty much everything that appears in the magazine is edited. I'm one of the first editors of the correspondence section of the magazine, uh, even the contributors' notes that appear in the beginning, which is another piece that I handle, uh, we edit those. And we edit any story, any interview, um, all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm a strong believer that, that that's what an editor does. I, I don't think an editor's job is to simply pick pieces sort of fully formed from the, un- the stack of unsolicited submissions and uh, present them in a magazine. I think that an editor's job is to choose those pieces that are working the best and do everything that he or she can to make them better. And that's certainly what we strive to do. It's a multi-part process. We have a senior editor, uh, we have a managing editor, and then Sai, who is the editor of The Sun. And all of those people sort of have a hand in editing a piece. Sometimes that means we're offering suggestions to a writer and asking that writer to take on a sort of round of rewrites before we go back to editing it. But it is important for me to say that none of that ever makes it in the magazine without approval from the writer. So we do think of it, you know, it's, it's not our piece. It's, it's our magazine. It's the writer's piece appearing in our magazine. And it's our job to, to make that magazine as good as we can and to help improve the piece as much as we feel that we're able to do. The other, the other thing that sort of comes into that is that we do have a pretty large subscriber base. The last time I talked to our circulation manager, I think it was 72,000 subscribers. And that means that we have to make the writing sort of as accessible as we can. So oftentimes, I think when we're editing a piece, we're looking at issues of clarity. How do we make this idea clearer? How do we make this sentence clearer? Is this the clearest word that we could be using? And we do look at every single word that's in that piece and make sure that that's going to work for uh, a pretty wide array of readers. Nice. And I expect that most writers really love that attention being paid to their piece. And you have, like, you're, you're building relationships that way too with your writers, it sounds like. Right. I'm, you know, as somebody who's submitted work to magazines himself, you know, I, I think you're sort of, in a way you're saying, this is as good as I can get this. And I really hope that you publish it. And uh, I think an editor looks at that and says, oh, this is good. You know, uh, let's, let's see what we can do to even make it better uh, and make it work for our readers. It, and as somebody who writes, I, I think that we've certainly heard from writers 
who uh, appreciate that sort of attention to detail that, that our editors bring to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they learn so much from that process. I know I, I've learned from having a close read from someone from an editor before. Okay, so I want to ask you a bit about the the diversity of the sun, because I noticed that you also encourage submissions from writers of color, and you explicitly state that on your website. So I'm wondering how being upfront like that has worked for your journal, and how do you feel you fare in terms of publishing a diversity of voices in the journal? So I would say that uh, this has sort of been a goal of the magazines for quite some time. Uh, and only recently, I think, have we been as explicit as we've been about that being a goal, uh, which is my way of sort of deferring an answer and saying, I don't know yet. I, I don't know yet how well that's worked. Um, but we are sort of doing what we can to diversify the voices to appear in the magazine. Uh, for instance, we just put out a call for submissions on the topic of love and justice. And that's going to be guest edited by a, somebody who's been in the sun before. Her name is Crystal Williams. Uh, so we're basically looking for poems, particularly from writers of color, on the topic of love and justice. And those submissions have sort of just started to roll in. So I'm going <laughs> to have to punt here and say, I don't know yet how it's worked out. We're hoping that it does. It's something that we as a staff value a lot. And we, we hope that we're able to diversify the magazine even more than it is. I get this sense that there is a lot of respect for the journal in that sense. Like a lot of my students are women of color who who want to publish in the sun and they feel like welcome, that their voice is welcome there. So I think, you know, what, what you're doing so far seems to be working from what I've heard. But um, that sounds really great. But the, the new issue coming up. And when, when is that one out? So the deadline for the submissions is November. And I do not know yet, I don't think anybody knows yet, what, which issue that will appear in. Because we'll, you know, it, it'll be a matter of our guest editor presenting us with some pieces that she thinks are, are going to work, and then us kind of having a conversation back and forth with that. So I don't know yet when it'll appear, um, but right now the deadline for those poems is November 1st. Great. So I want to ask you, and, and this is sort of as we're, as we're wrapping up here, to, and, and I asked you this before, to prepare a piece that you've, um, prepare to speak about a piece that you've published and why you published it. So would, would you tell us a bit more about that now? I think it, it is the one that, that you mentioned before, the, the hog, the sound, the wind, is that right? Yeah. Again, like I said, that was, it was just one of those pieces that we didn't know we needed it until we got it. Uh, and the, the author, um, David Rutschman, we had published in the magazine at least once before, maybe twice before. Uh, we had published a poem of his called Sobriety, which I just thought was terrific, uh, and maybe one other piece. And then uh, we had this piece. And if my memory serves, this was one that we had had in our editorial meeting, uh, which is uh, basically when all of the readers and members of the editorial staff discuss pieces that um, had been submitted. I think it was one of those. I could be wrong about that. And it's essentially a parable about two hogs uh, and a sow. Uh, and they are, I, I, I don't want to give too much of the story away. Their owner uh, dies and they are stuck in a pen. And uh, a lot of the story is about how they manage to get out of the pen and what happens after that too. Uh, so there's, there's dialogue, you know, the animals are anthropomorphized. And again, if, if you were to describe that to me, I would, I would say that sounds interesting, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it was for the sun. But boy, was it. 
and it has just this sort of it it asks interesting questions it doesn't have an easy sort of lesson that you can put a bow on at the end and uh, those are just the sorts of things that I love when I'm reading a story uh, and that that I think it sort of just accomplishes with a plum uh, and we were really glad that that uh, David had sent that to us and gave us the chance to consider it and just really happy that we had published it. It's, it remains one of my favorites. I love that. I love the energy and the enthusiasm that you talk about the piece too. And and I guess there's such a delight when you're surprised by something that, like you said, on the surface maybe seems like hmm, a parable about pigs. That's not right, <laughs> right for us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, I I think um, you know we as an editorial staff like to be surprised as much as our readers like to be surprised. We like to laugh as much as our readers like to laugh. We're looking for those same sorts of qualities in a story that I think our readers are. And we're hopefully picking things that, that hit a variety of notes, I guess. And that one just was really exciting to me the first time I read it. And I just, I, I, like I said, I think it was in an editorial meeting, but I could be wrong. Sai might have just brought it down to my desk and showed it to me. And I just remember so, being so excited that we were going to, to have the chance to print it. I feel that way about so many pieces, but since you limited me to one, that, that's the one that I, that I chose to focus on. Nice. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your love of, of writing and your, your love story, your hopeless romanticism, all of that <laughs> with me today. Uh, so people who want to submit to The Sun can submit at thesunmagazine.org. And you told us about the upcoming issue with the guest editor. Is there any other issues you want to talk about that are coming up or anything? So we, yeah, we um, work a few issues ahead. Uh, I am working on December right now. I'm doing the fact checking actually for that issue right now. So that one's kind of already put away. You know, we, we try to loosely thematically link the issues, but that isn't to say that we don't accept pieces that don't fit those themes. You know, we accept really with the assumption that the the right issue will come along for a piece if it's a piece that we're really excited about. So I'm trying to think of Janu what January's issue the focus is. Uh, you might just have to cut this from the podcast. That's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I put you on the spot because that one wasn't in my list of questions. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, oh, Okay. So upcoming, we, we tend to um, anchor each issue with a feature-length interview uh, and then sort of have some of the pieces that appear in the magazine sort of speak to that. Uh, and we do have uh, an upcoming interview that's related to uh, the sort of dire situation we humans find ourselves in given the uh, climate change that has been happening. So that's it. if somebody has a piece that might speak to that, we'd be glad to consider it. And I believe that's it for interviews that we have definitely settled at this point. Great. Great. Well, thank you again for sharing with us today. And um, that's it. Thanks for being here. Okay. Great. Yeah, thank you. This episode of the podcast Lit Mag Love is brought to you by my course, also called Lit Mag Love. Now, the course only opens a couple times per year, and you can sign up, though, anytime for one free lesson. You'll get on the wait list, and you'll also get a lovely discount when the course opens again. You can do all that at litmaglove.com.
So here is the Lit Mag Lowdown for The Sun Magazine. The Sun Magazine publishes personal essays, short stories, interviews, poetry, and photographs. Their payment is professional, so you can get between $300 and $2,000 for fiction and nonfiction, and around $100 for poetry. They also publish flash fiction, short stories, as I said, essays, and interviews. And the word, I'm just going to break this down into word length. So the flash fiction is up to 1,000 words, short stories 1,000 to 7,000, essays are up to 7,000 words, and interviews are 6,000 to 15,000. They tend to favor personal writing, so they're not looking for journalistic or academic or opinion pieces, but they're open to just about anything else. And The Sun is reading year-round, so you can submit year-round. They're published 12 times per year in print, and they have over 70,000 subscribers. I think Derek said it was 72,000. Now, they're publishing in print, but you can also read their back issues with their newly designed website. And they're working on the model where you can read anything in the journals uh, uh, up to a certain number of times per month. So they cap it, and then after that, you'd have to subscribe. Now, let me talk a little bit about what we learned from speaking with Derek today. So Derek was talking about how taking, we started by talking about his MFA and how taking an MFA is like taking a group of writers and asking them to prove it. So people who say that they're writers asking them to prove it. And one of the things that he looks for in a publication is for an author to look him in the eye. So he's looking for honest and unflinching writing. And I think that's something we've heard from a lot of editors. So it's definitely something to consider as you're writing. And as he put it, we like to be surprised as much as our readers. We like to laugh as much as our readers. So there's not really a specific thing that they're looking for, but they're going to know it when they see it. And again, the more truthful you can be in your writing, the more unflinching, then the more they're going to perk up and pay attention. Another thing that is really great about The Sun is not only do they pay professionally, they also do really close editing. So sometimes you publish in a journal, you'll submit your work to a journal that you know doesn't pay well, but you know you're going to have that close editing experience. With The Sun, you're getting both. So that is, I think, a great reason to submit to them. And they do have not, they don't have specific themes, so they're open to all different types of writing year round. But he did indicate a couple that were coming up that might be things to try to try to fit with. So they, they try to pair interviews with writing that fits the theme of the interview. Show notes for this episode are available on litmaglovepodcast.com. And there you'll also be able to sign up to be notified when new episodes come out. If you feel some litmag love for this episode, please tell us in a review on iTunes. When you do, you will automatically be entered for a bi-weekly draw for a subscription to Room Magazine.